A while back, we saw this video of a young man catching these large snook in the middle of the day. High sun, monsters. It was Ryan Nitz. I found this to be very intriguing. So I reached out to him to set up this conversation. And at 31 years of age, here he comes. Ryan Nitz, the new generation. We hope you enjoy it. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. Okay, we're good. All right. Um, here we go. Ryan Nitz, welcome to the Millhouse. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Um, we got the young blood. We got youngest, young blood. You're youngest the young, on the millhouse. You're the youngest guest by forty some years. That's that awesome. Last week, I don't always feel it now. Now that I'm 31, you know, it's, it's getting. It's not 21 anymore. No, but you're still so young. It's awesome. Um, when I first saw you, um, Nikki showed me some video of you catching these monster snook, and it was so exciting to see you. You know, in this canoe these monster fish feeding right next to the boat. And it's like, wow, man, that guy's cool. Um, and, and in that regard, we've had uh, the snook guys. I know that you're a passionate uh, turkey hunter, uh, deer hunter, snook fisherman. So that it kind of comes full circle with us. But, you know, we've interviewed, um, I think, one of the greatest names in snook fishing is David Justice some old-time guys that you might not even know that that well uh george copeland we just had tommy green and we'll get into that because i know you you got yourself really on instagram with like fifty thousand followers from your snook fishing but um i'd like to start with that the instagram post and how hard was that and what kind of war you waged in the early years being on Instagram, catching all these fish, the naysayers, et cetera, and all of a sudden all the following. Talk about that progression. Yeah, you know, for the most part, it all came real organic for me. Um, I started out on a plastic canoe that I bought from Sports Authority. Um, you know, I started fishing this river. You know, I've lived here in Jupiter my whole life for 31 years. So as soon I was, you know, eight or nine years old or whatever, 10 years old, and my mom would let me, well, actually, it all started bass fishing, believe it or not. Uh, my mom and dad would drop me off at my grandma's and she had these two ponds in her development and I would walk around that pond every day 
all day long and I'd catch every bass in that pond over and over again. And so that's kind of what set it. And then, um, you know, my house here in Jupiter, it's maybe a half mile from the river. So when I was, you know, 15, my mom would let me finally take my bike by myself with my friends and we'd go down there. And every day after school, I would fish that river. Just, you know, I'd wait up to my chest every single day. And then one day my dad came home and was like, hey, this was when Sports Authority was going out of business. And he said, there's a canoe in there. You should go look at it. And I was like, I don't want a freaking canoe. What am I going to do with a canoe? He's like, it's, it's pretty cool. Go check it out. I was like, no. Two weeks goes by. He goes, hey, the canoe's still there. You should go check it out. I was like, no. Well, one day I go in there to go buy some hooks or something one day, and I see the canoe. And I'm like, man, that's kind of cool. You know, it was green. It was plastic. It had like a little molded transom in the back where you could put a trolling motor. And um, so I, I was like, hey, is this still on sale? The little associate, sales associate was there. And she goes, no, it's not on sale anymore, but I got you. So she rang it up for like 250 bucks. I bought a $100 trolling motor and I bought a $100 battery. So for under $500, I was out on the water. So started doing that um, and um, bought a GoPro, the original GoPro and, and stuck it on my head and that was it. Started going out there, started getting pulled around with some of these big snook and um, I would just take the clip and throw it on Instagram. Originally, I never even wanted an Instagram, wanted nothing to do with it. And uh, my girlfriend kept saying, just get one. Everyone's got one. Just get one. I was like, I don't want it. I don't want it. Well, I finally got one. Started posting some of those pictures um, with the GoPro. I would, I would put the GoPro on time lapse and, you know, take all these photos. And I was getting some unique shots. And, um, you know, I started posting it on there and people started loving it. You know, people were going nuts over it. So I was like, man, maybe I got something going here. How big were these stuck you were catching at the time? Um, you know, when I started out, I started with, you know, six inch snook catching them on crappie jigs in the creek. Um, and then I worked my way up to throwing little pins meadows, catching, you know, foot long snook. And so initially on the Instagram posts, you were catching small fish. Yeah, I would say so. And I, the audience wasn't that, that vibrant at the time or um, you were getting some likes. I was getting some likes at that time. It wasn't probably the big snook doing. It was just more of the creative angles that I was doing. You know, I'd throw a GoPro under the water and let it sit underwater for like 30 minutes. And I would have snook swimming by and I would post pictures like that. Um, I would have like a rattlesnake attacking the camera. So cool. Yeah. So I was it just, was just a love to get the footage. It wasn't like forward thinking, like I'm going to become a guide and I'm going to build up my audience. Never, and, yeah. ever thought about being, I mean, in high school and stuff, I, I was, you know, always thought about maybe being a guide just, right. or not even thought about being a guide, but just thought that it would be cool to be a guide. But I had no fishing background in my family whatsoever. So I never even thought about it. Didn't even think that was even possible. Right. Um, so no, never really, uh, never thought about being a guide. So just, I was going out there to have fun. Just, you know, this is Jupiter. There's snook all around. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go fish for the snook. So, uh, you know, every morning it would be me and my buddy Colton out there uh, just having the blast out there in the canoe. And you, you're learning this on your own. You didn't have a mentor. Your father didn't show you the trick tips and tricks for snook fishing or anything like that. No, not really. Uh, again, you know, he probably showed me how to put a worm on a hook when I did the bass fishing thing and that was it. That's no one since then has ever showed me anything. I, uh, just started just from the bottom catching those small ones with the crappie jig and trial and error you know you lose your first big snook and you're like oh what what did i do wrong well you didn't even have leader on your hook or anything right. you know but and, i think but i think you did have an inspiration with flip palette when you're like 10 years old watching his show yeah uh and, and, definitely a hundred percent you did know did that lead you to the fishing aspect or it was already naturally in, embedded i think that's what made me like fishing for sure um you know i can remember 
very well. I don't. I can't remember much from from when I was this young, but you know, maybe ten or eleven years old. But I can remember vividly sitting on the couch, ESPN Saturday or Sunday. You know, they switched it around, and my dad was cooking breakfast, and we were watching Flip Palette and Jose Wahevi, you know, every weekend. Um, and at that time, that's when I was probably still just bass fishing. I was probably just going to my grandma's on the weekend, bass fishing, and then watching them. And then I probably didn't start saltwater fishing until, you know, 15 when I could start riding my bike with my friends around and fishing some of the local bridges and whatnot here, you know, 10 years ago here or now 15 years ago, um, in Jupiter, you could, you could ride all around and fish all kinds of places. You know, there was still a bunch of lots that were not houses. There was still woods. You could go find places where you could go fish that you can't do anymore today. There every square inch of is now a seawall of mm-hmm. some sort mm-hmm. and a big mansion. Let's go back to the canoe um, and the evolution of finding and all of a sudden putting big big snook on Instagram. Right. So uh, when I started fishing the canoe, it opened up a huge door because now I was fishing parts of the river that I've never even been in. You know, um, And what was really good about the canoe is um, you had to fish an area once you were there. It wasn't like you could just pick up and go run two miles to the other side of the river. So once we put in, um, we fished areas heavily. And, and, and so over time, over you know three or four years of me doing this on the canoe, I knew every single dock in the river. I knew which, which docks were gonna hold snook. I knew where every sandbar was, where the mullet are gonna be. And um, yeah, just from then, you know, history kind of repeated itself every year and I would just slowly fine tune my spots every year. And then at this time, I'm still not thinking anything about being a guy, just going out there with my buddies, having a good time on the canoe. So at what point did you find this? I mean, when people think of your name, Ryan Nitz, they think of monster snook, 40 inch snook. When did you find where these big snook live? Um, is there a certain zone and were you fishing that zone as a kid on your John boat or what, you know, how did you get back in there, find that spot and consistently catch 40 inch snook? Um, you know, in the summertime here, uh, it doesn't take much to find them. They're pretty much all around the river in the, in the, in the summertime, you can catch a 40 incher in any part of the river. Um, but for the most part, you know, with the canoe, I was limited. I couldn't really come out to the inlet. I couldn't come out to the bays on windy days. So it, 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 it put me in the back part of the river more than anything. And that's where I really fine tuned everything. And that's where, um, you know, I would start to see fish that you probably wouldn't have ever seen if you came around the corner with an outboard because those fish would hear you coming. They'd hear that outboard and they would sink down. Well, when on canoe, you're super stealthy. They don't even know what's coming. So I was seeing fish that, I would never seen before on a boat if I came through there on a boat because they, like I said, they would sit up high, they'd hear you or whatever, you're jumping around and they would sink down. You'd never see them. That boat wake would come through, they'd go down. Um, So the canoe just opened up tons of doors for me. I could go wherever I wanted, stealthy. I would have a five gallon bucket in there. That was my live well. You know, I could keep five or six mullet in there at most before they started to die. Did you have an aerator? Oh yeah. Yeah. But you know, the mullet I'm using are 10 inch mullet so mm-hmm. you can only fit so many in there and have them alive for so long so if i put a dozen in there you know they're not going to live so right. I'd, I'd get my five or six mullet and i would just every morning for you know three or four hours in the morning i'd go figure out you know you troll a mullet around for a while you'll know where they're at they're going to find them so you were did you have a trolling motor with the canoe yeah yeah so it was a hundred you, you, you didn't even have like a regular motor no, just straight trolling motor. It was a, you know, the cheap 
$100 one from Walmart, Minn Kota, whatever it is, freshwater one. And uh, I bought a $100 battery and you just hook that sucker up. And So what kind of range did you have? <sighs> Some days um, I, over, I, I overdid it. So you tapped out and had yeah, the row back? Yeah, yeah, you'd be out there all day and I'm like, oh, we've got to keep fishing. And then you go to head back and you have like maybe a mile to get back and the troll motor's just not going anywhere. Did you take oar with you? For, Always. Yeah, I'm Always sure. had an oar with sure. me. Um, but on a good day with a good, a brand new battery, you know, I could run, you know, not run, I could creep at three miles an hour, uh, and go maybe two miles this way and then make it two miles back. That's awesome. Yeah, I well, mean, it's so, it's so cool, you know, as a young kid learning your trade that will eventually, you know, take you places, which your trade did. Uh, you mentioned earlier about wading and you hunt barefooted and you, you fish barefooted. Tell me about that. Yeah. So waiting, you know, I just would go out there, uh, like I said, up, up to my chest really. And just every day I would wait. I never thought anything of it. I knew there was obviously sharks and everything, but never crossed my mind to be worried about it. But cutting your feet on oysters or just, whatever. I just thought that was part of it, you know? I don't and know. that evolved to hunting deer barefooted, not in socks, but barefooted. Yeah. No it, barefoot, just no. straight barefoot, just board shorts and barefoot. Um, it's super stealthy. Um, no, I get that, but I'm thinking about splinters and cactuses snakes. in the West. Oh yeah. And, and that all comes with it, but it's just, <laughs> I've done it so long. I just think that's the normal, the normal of it. Um, definitely, you know, I can't tell you how many times, especially in the summer, even today, even this summer coming up, you'll see me limping around. Uh, because I'm out there trying to catch, you know, mullet on the oyster flat and barefoot. You Interesting. Know, Do you feel like you're a little bit of a pioneer because you developed this fishery and found these big fish in your canoe that no one else could find? Um, I'm sure, you know, there was people doing it before me. I think I definitely uh, put some light on it with social media. Um, you know, I've done a couple shows. I've done a couple YouTube videos. And just obviously with my Instagram Um People probably seen Jupiter and 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 seen you know never knew that that was going on there ever. Is there any regret with that? Um, no, I don't regret any of it. Just because um, you know it's made me who I am, um, and I don't mind the fact you know I love that I have people all the time, all young kids all the time saying I can't. I love what you're doing. I love you know I love what you do, and and it really inspires them. And people write me that all the time. So that's cool. On the on the the pressure of the fish wise, um, I'm starting to see it now. Or you know, we've been seeing it. Um, what social media can do to the fishery, and I don't regret it because I'm still here and I'm ready to do maybe the opposite. Maybe try and use my platform to show. Okay, look, look what's happening now. Look what social media has done. Look what, and it's not just social media. There's obviously a million factors today that mm-hmm. are against our our population of fish and the you know, estuary. But now that I have a platform built on that, I can use my platform to do good. Right. Sure. For other reasons. Yeah. For other reasons. It, so this, this zone, is it a zone that you found that these big fish lay up and cruise the shorelines where you can sight fish them? Or is that all throughout Jupiter or is it, is it very specific zones? Um, there's definitely specific zones where they will be very more conjugated than others, but um, every day is different. Every year is different. 
um, you know, Jupiter, again, we have so much construction going on here with, you know, they're redoing the bridges now and, and there's barges everywhere. And, uh, you know, they're always dredging sandbars and putting, you know, more sand over here or they dredge the inlet and, and that all disrupts the fish at, at some point. Um, so every year is different, but there are, you know, I would say I have, you know, five or six good spots that I'm going to pull up and there's going to be one sitting there. What are, what are the time? What's the best time to target a big snook? time of year may through september um and that's you know obviously that's when they come and do their spawning thing that's you know june july and august is when they spawn on the full moons they'll they'll conjugate at the inlet you know uh it's you know last year was a little slow a number wise i don't think there was as many fish as there should have been um and that's obviously because probably pressure of some sort but um back you know 10 years ago you could pull up to the inlet and there'd be a black knot of them for hundreds of yards i got a question about that um in the west all the fly fishermen uh it's almost like a peer pressure thing don't fish over reds when these fish are spawning leave them alone right this is how they pro uh, procreate absolutely and and, you think snooks should be protected in the summer when they're spawning because now they're so vulnerable so you know Five years ago, if you would ask me that, I would have said, no, it's fine. And as each year goes on and on, and I see it more and more, absolutely, we need to start thinking about something with the snook population. The, the, the numbers last year were minimal. Again, like I said, you could see a pod in, 10 years ago that were you know hundreds and hundreds of yards long, 10 feet high, thousands of snook. This last summer, there was maybe two or three pods there that were maybe the size of, you know, uh, a half of a basketball court, maybe a couple hundred fish in there. And how many people were fishing over it? Way too many. There you go. The biggest thing, so, you know, again, I would be, uh, don't get me wrong, the inlet fishery is some of the best fishing you can ever have. And for me being a guide, it's it's easy. I can go, I can bring someone who's never caught a snook before. I can go to the inlet, drop down a bait, boom, you just caught a fish of a lifetime. But you know the de- the damage that's being done. And, but, but wouldn't you say, hey, I'm going to go find you a, a snook somewhere else. We're not going to go to the inlet. And by do you doing that and by you posting this on Instagram, hey, hey guys, let's leave these guys alone. We're losing our fishery. Don't you think that would be more good than taking a newbie in there and doing the damage that everybody is doing? 100%. And this is the year that I'll probably start pushing that. Um, I'd much rather see... Um, you know, close the inlet down or close half of the inlet down, make some zones where, you know, you just can't fish for snook right here, whether it's just even June or July or whatever, they're prime months. Right. Um, if you really care about the snook, you would be okay with that. Um, and what it is, the problem is we just have so many people who now know that Jupiter is a hotspot for snook. What they'll do is, you know, they come from all over the place and a, a big thing that I kind of want to push too, which, you know, I get it. Commercial fishermen have to make money, bait, Fishermen have to make their money, but the croakers are a big thing here. So, you know, these guys will have boatloads of croaker and all these guys from all over will come here. They'll buy croaker from them and they'll sit on those spawning fish for 10 hours a day. I'm not joking. There will be 15 boats sitting on these fish, you know, 10 hours a day, dropping croakers on them, catching them one after another, after another. And... You know, a lot of times those guys don't know how to handle a snook when they catch them. They'll catch these 40 inch snook. They'll bring them on the boat. They'll pass them around. Five different people take pictures with them. You know, they're bear hugging them and whatnot. 
and then they just throw them right back in. They don't revive them. They don't do anything. They just toss them back in. I can't tell you how many times I'll come off anchor, go grab that fish and spend 20 minutes with that fish just trying to give it a chance. Um, another thing is, um, but like I said, so with the croakers, uh, you know, the fact that they can go there, just buy croaker and sit there and do that is what's is bad. So if you took out that, that croaker or, or the bait fishery, I feel like a lot of these guys wouldn't be able to do that. Mm. So, um, so go, go catch your own croaker. Go catch your own bait. Just, just, I just don't like the commercial <clears throat> sale of, of bait fish. Do you buy sale. your bait? Or do you Never go catch ever once have I bought bait. I'm out there every morning with my cast net catching mullet. I don't really use croakers um, just for that fact. I don't need to. I I love. I like. I like catching bait. I like throwing that net in the morning. Right. That's my workout. Yeah, we do too. I we suck at it, it, but Nikki's Nikki's pretty good. No, yeah. we love it. I'll tell you funny about throwing a, a cast net. So we were uh, down in Miami, and uh, they have that aquarium, the Sea Aquarium, right by uh, the Rickenbacker uh, Causeway. So um, at this stage, we we're going to go bait fishing that night. And I was in there, and I was going to throw my cast at, and uh, and I had my other son who was very young, and my ex-wife said, "You can go fishing as long as you take Alex." So I took Alex, and I and I said, "Okay, I if I'm going to go fishing, I need the help." So I grabbed the nanny. I said, "Come on, we're going to go fishing." And she's an English lady, w- way overweight. She has no idea what we're going to do. I go into the sea aquarium. There's mullet everywhere, you know. So I go, and when I go to st- throw my cast net. I threw it and I, I, I kind of followed through, you know, and I stepped right off the bow of my boat. <laughs> so my cast net covers all these fish. It sinks to the bottom and I'm, I'm in there. Now I've got my, my rope in my wrist. I'm climbing up on the boat, <laughs> pull my net up, dump the, the mullet into the bait well. And my nanny goes, wow, I've never seen fishing like that before. <laughs> And she like, thought it was supposed to be. It's supposed to be just like that. You <laughs> yeah, know? you know, I'll, a lot of times I'll go out there and catch bait before the charter, but um, a lot of people love watching me do that. They've never right. seen anything like that. So I've I've kind of incorporated that into the charter. That now. is the, awesome. The first 30 minutes, you're going to watch me sling that net around, and they love it. You know, I'll dump the mullet on the deck, and they'll try and scoop them up, you know, for the first time. And they, that's just a part of the trip now. No, that's awesome. Good for you. Let's go back to the, the fun things. Uh, I mean, we got our uh, conservation uh, voice in there. Um, when you first started posting these big fish, did, did you get a lot of people complaining? Your uh, your your naysayers, think, like, what are you doing with uh, with all your Instagram stuff? Yeah, of course. You know, before I had fifty thousand followers, and I only had you know five thousand followers. You know, I started posting all these things. You know, all the local kids that I used to go to school with, or even you know, not the local kids. They're like, oh, who do you think you are? You know, you think you're a snook fisherman. You think you're a good snook fisherman, and. Uh, I quickly learned to just let that roll over my back. I don't, I, I could care less. They can go at it. For me, it was, it was, it was more advertisement, advertisement for me at this point. Go ahead and talk about me all you want. I don't care. But this was, is, was this at this point you said initially it was the beauty of the, of the video that you were posting? It wasn't about you. And, and holding big Never. fish. It was all about the, the fishery. No, I was just doing what I did organically. I'd go out there and I'd catch a big snook and I'd take a picture of it. I'd take, you know, the video speak for itself. It's just what you see is what you got. I mean, what I saw, which was really cool, it was all about the fish biting. It was not about, look at this fish I got. Right. And But I've, what I've also done, though, is took the time to uh, incorporate, because I've done wildlife photography at one point. You know, again, when I, when I got the GoPro, when I started with a GoPro, that sparked a little bit of wildlife photography in me. 
And so after the GoPro, I was like, I need something more. I need an actual camera that can zoom in and whatnot. So I ended up, I took a loan out and bought a Nikon camera. And that's when I started doing a lot of wildlife photography. Um, you know, mostly with the turkeys and some of the Florida bucks and kind of showcasing the wildlife Florida has to offer. A lot of people don't know, but Florida is still very wild. Right. It's not just condos and beaches and whatnot. So I started doing that and, um, you know, it just, it slowly led into, um, I actually even made a website, made some money off some prints doing wildlife photography and, um, yeah. So when did you think I'm, I'm going to become a guide now I'm catching all these fish. I want to be a guide. Well, you know, once again, so with the photography, when I started catching these big fish, I incorporated my photography with the big fish. So I was starting to showcase these fish in a proper way that they needed to be showcased. You know, right. I was getting some cool angles. And also a big thing that I've always been big on is, you know, handling the fish. You can go on my page. You'll never see a fish vertical ever. And I've done this since day one. Um, and, and, you know, people were always like, oh, well, you, you, you're the one who hammers most of the 40 inch fish more than anyone. And that may be true, but you can, you, I promise you, you'll see me handle every one of those fish with more care than you probably should. Even with my clients, you know, they all, if I don't just put a 40 inch fish in anybody's hands, because I know how that goes with a lot of people, you throw a 40 inch fish in someone's hands, who's never held one, the fish is going to do a kick and it's going to get slapped onto the deck and so forth. So. A lot of times, you know, I got it down to a science. You sit them down on the cooler, you grab the fish. When you grab the fish initially, they do that initial kick. Then you put it on the, on the client. The camera's already ready to go. You take the picture, boom, straight Back into the, in the water. water. It's a 20 second process at most. And I've never ever had one go belly up because of that. You won't see it. You take the time to make sure that they stay wet. You, you, you get the picture, you go. But again, and now if you don't, if I know the client's not, worthy of holding it we get in the water and sometimes right. that's the coolest thing ever is that you know in the heart of the summer right. to get in that water and just get with the fish is awesome and it makes for an awesome photo these guys can hang on to it for their lifetime you know i've had grown men cry at the end of the trip uh you know like last year i had a father and a son um you know they were probably 75 and 55 and we had one of the best snook fishing days of the summer and i got pictures of him with their you know together with doubles you know, and at the end of the day, the guy came over to me, the younger son, and was in tears and said, I've never, ever had a memory like this with my dad. And, you know, I sent him the photos and he was just looking at these photos and he's like, I will hang on to these forever. Right. And so that right there mm -hmm. was like, that's awesome. Very me. cool. What was that transition like to go into guiding full time? Because I know you had a stable, you were doing pest control, correct? Right. So, so back to your question, how I got into guiding. So I was doing pest control for my girlfriend's father. Um, this was probably from, you know, when I was 20 to 25, you know, fresh out of high school, I started doing it. Um, got all the pest certifications because after doing it for so many years, you can do it yourself. So after that, I went, did all the pest certifications. I was certified pest control operator. And at that point, uh, you know, I had maybe, I don't know, 20 grand saved up. And I was like, at this point, I still wasn't thinking about charter. I'm, I'm, let's say I'm 24, 25, still not thinking charter. Um, and I had Tom Rowland with the Saltwater Experience. They came and did a show. And when that show aired, I had like 200 and something emails. Now at that time, I was always getting asked through Instagram on DMs, hey, do you do charters? Do you charters? And I was like, no, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. And then after that show aired and I had all those emails, I'm sitting there like scrolling through my phone. I'm like, all right, what am I doing killing cockroaches? Like I got 200 right. people right now sure. ready to go fishing. 
So right then and there, I just, I, I didn't buy a work truck. I didn't buy a, a route. I went to sea school, got my captain's license, got a Ranger Phantom sitting in the driveway still and started guiding. And the good thing was, is my clients were already ready to go. I didn't have to just go out there in the dark. The day I had my chart, my got my license, I've been booked ever since. How many trips did you do that first year? And was there ever a time period in that first calendar year where you're like, you had a lull and you were like, fuck, I don't know if I can make this work. Never. It was full blast since day one. As soon as I started, I, I had people, you know, once I made, I made a post saying, hey guys, I have my license now. I'm legal to take anyone fishing. Ever since then, it's been balls to the wall. Booked uh, constantly through the summer. Um, and I, yeah, you know, I start turning people away. I started sending them to some of the other local guys. You know, there's a lot of older guides here that don't do social media. And, you know, that was a whole nother thing when I first started guiding, you know, they're looking at me because, you know, being introduced into the guide world is, you know, a pretty crazy thing. You know, every, every place has, you know, that mentality, you know, you get a young gun in there. They're like, who's this guy? And I was, I've, and I was, you're, and you're booked daily and they're looking at you daily like, and they're like, what the heck, you know? Right. But uh, again, I was cool with them. You know, the first couple of years, they, you know, gave me the cold shoulder, would run by me full speed or just, you know, never look twice. But once they figured out that, you know, I'm booked every day and they probably sooner or later saw me on social media, they became friendly and, and I never held it against them. I get it. You know, they I never say, where are you fishing, son? They do. <laughs> they tell you, oh, where, yeah. where are you fishing? Oh, man? yeah. No, right. it's funny to watch the transition happen from where they wouldn't say a word to me to where they'd be like, hey, man, so... Uh, you know, how'd you do yesterday? You know, and I'd be like, pretty damn good. How'd you do? And they're like, eh. you That's know, funny. so it was cool. And again, I, you know, I totally get it. Never held it against them. And to this day now, we're all really close. You know, right. here in Jupiter, um, there's not too many guides. It is a pretty, you know, we do have big snook in the summer, but overall it's a pretty tough fishery. It's very small body of water. Um, so to be consistent is pretty tough. So there's only maybe five or six really good, reputable handful of guides here in Jupiter on the on the inshore side. Right. Let me ask you this. Well, over this last couple of years, uh, we've had a lot of discussions about spot ownership. Has anybody like followed you and all of a sudden you get to your spot? There's already somebody in your spot that learned it from you or, or caught you there? hundred percent. All the time. It happens all the time. And, um, you know, with me, I'm just so easygoing. You know, I... I at one point, if it's too much, I'll say something like, come on, man, you know, whatever. But for me, if I pull up to a spot and there's two boats there that probably watched me the day before, that's fine. Have it. I'll go. I got plan B. I got plan C. I got plan D. E, Good for you. I got it all. So I don't I don't worry about it. I really don't. Hmm. Interesting. And then during the wintertime, you don't fish as much. You're, you're a hunting guide, correct? Yeah, I kind of turn into a bum come September. So what's your what's your yearly a schedule? Bum? A bum, a yeah, bum. Yeah. What's that? What's that mean? No, no job. Just I'm in a tree. So oh, so you hunt for yourself? Yeah, that's that's me time. Um, so my 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 schedule right now for the most part is uh, March and April. I turkey hunt every day. I run people turkey hunts. I got turkey hunters every day for pretty much eight weeks straight. May first, beginning of the summer. It's 120 days straight of snook fishing. All of May, all of June, all of July, all of August. I'm out there every day, with the exception of maybe a few Sundays, um, and you know maybe that's to get the boat service probably. Right. So what's the day of snook fishing like? I mean, when we tarpon fish, we leave at six in the morning and we come off the water at seven at night. It's like a solid 10, 11 hour days. Uh, no, for me, it's a little, I've, I fine tuned it over the last few years. You know, I started off doing that, you know, you can do a four hour trip, you can do an eight hour trip. Um, but now I just offer, it's a six hour trip. That's all you, that's it. Um, and that's usually in the summertime, you don't want to be on the water from 12 to three, you will die. 
it so, is it's so brutal. Hot. So yeah. my trips are six to twelve. That's what it is in the summer. Um, some days I'll do I'll do two trips, and if I do an afternoon trip, it's usually only a five hour trip. It's four to nine because the snook fishing can be very very good at night in yeah. the summertime. And what do you charge for a day or or those? that half day or a day is that day of uh, six hours what do you charge um so when i first started uh, i started it was 450 you know because you know i came from cockroaches i, I used to work my ass off for eight ten hours a day and i'd make 88 dollars after taxes <laughs> so when i took my first charter out and they handed me 500 dollars, yeah i felt like i just robbed the guy it's free money <laughs> i was like are you kidding me like here take some of this back and they're like no no this was great um, so every year, obviously the, the big thing is, uh, trying to live the Jupiter lifestyle here. So, uh, it's very expensive to live here. And over time, you know, I, I think I'm worthy of it. You know, I, I, for the most part, if you come fishing with me, you're going to catch a giant. And, but I've learned over time that you can't, you know, it's business and I'm trying to make an, a living out of it. So this year with a, my new boat being built, you know, I'm, you're looking at $800 probably for a, for a six hour trip. It's yeah. about the same as the as the Keys tarpon guides, eight hundred some or a thousand dollars. Yeah, it's pretty standard nowadays. Yeah, but it's like okay, you want to try to do this on your own, <laughs> or you want to hire a guide. Uh, here's another question. You know, I mean, I'm a little bit guilty of this because I had I hired guides for thirty five years when I was tournament fishing. I was always fishing with serious refined guides, usually just a couple. Now I have my own boat and I fish with my son. And I know all those spots. And I kind of wonder, you know, am, have I earned those spots? Have I earned the right to fish with my son down there? And some of the guys, there's only a couple, that think that I should just still be hiring guides and fishing with my son. I should not have my boat with my son fishing down there on my own because I learned all those spots with them. Well, even here's a question yeah. I have for you: Are you a little bit worried about taking people fishing? They see where you fish. Now they have their boat and they emulate your spots and your routine. I just don't worry about it. Um, a, a big thing I do to kind of counteract that is um, I handpick every one of my clients for the most part. Now, um, you know, I have such a long list of people that want to go fishing that. You know, I can go through my thing and say, mm, that looks like a spot stealer. You're not coming. Uh, oh, you you look like, oh, you're four, you live four hours away from here? Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And so I've done that. Um, don't, But don't get me wrong. There's definitely been a few. Um, and there's even guys who will hit me up and say, look, um, I'm coming back down for the summer. It's just going to be me and the family. Do you mind if I go fishing where you took me? And if you ask me that, 100% of the time, I'm going to say, absolutely, dude. I'm not one of those guys who are going to be like, hey, because when it comes down to it, I don't own that water. You, you know, whether I'm a guide or not, that's public land. Mm -hmm. um, so I've just never been one to uh, really be a stinker about that. But um, I think there's times, you know, if I took a, you know, there are a couple kids that I've took fishing and uh, the next three days they'll be sitting in that spot. That's when I think it's a little much. Um, that's when I'll say, hey, man, you know, you know, I just took you here yesterday. I'm trying to make a living over here. Like, you know, do you mind? And most of the time they'll be like, oh, OK, and they'll they'll move on. Right. Uh, and that's just the way it's going to go. Yeah. And, and like I said, I can't I can't be that way because I've made the videos I've made. You know, sure. I've been I've done TV shows. I've done the YouTube videos for me to sit there and say, hey, you can't fish here. That'd be a little 
Right. Yeah. yeah well, that's uh, it's good on you, you know, for sure. I had a friend that wanted to fish Charleston the other day, and so I was reaching out to my buddy who lived in Charleston. He recommended these two guides, and um, I, I reached out to them, and he said, well, does your friend live in Charleston? I was like, no, but why you ask? And he's like, well, I don't take anybody from Charleston fishing in Charleston. They don't take any locals. Yeah. Which is amazing to me. It's smart, you know. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I would, I would think that it'd be really hard to fill your calendar. Well, you got to. I, I can see why. I mean, you've got a great perspective on the whole thing. I got to hand it to you. You know, I think that's a great way to look at it. Hey, can I bring my family? I'm only going to be there in town for a couple of days, no problem. But your buddies that steal your spot and, and sit on it, I get it. I mean, there's there's really a, a balancing act with that whole thing, right? A hundred percent. And besides Snook, I uh, I've been seeing you post a lot about Cubera uh, Snapper yeah. and tagging and doing the science of the Cubera Snapper. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so that, that's my fish. That's that's something. That's I'm, your fish. That's, that's your what, favorite. Yeah, really? Just, well, that... just because nobody knows how to catch them, you know, no one's out there really hammering the Cuberas like that. I mean, there's a couple people, I'm sure. Yeah, but... So this, these are Cuberas over the Brex. No. Yeah, there's 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 they? there sometimes they're in the river. They'll be in the small, super smaller ones. You know, you'll get like some of the five pounders that are in the river. Sometimes you'll catch them on top waters, rarely. But for the most part, there's a couple rocks that I have in about twenty to thirty foot of water that I've just fine tuned. You know, you get the right <clears throat> gear. Those fish though are bulldogs. So when I first started guiding, they are good. Oh my gosh! But well, this is inside the inlet. Some of them, some of them are inside the inlet. Some of them are right at the inlet and some of them are right outside of the inlet. Gotcha. Um, but anywhere between, you know, 15 and 30 foot of water, there's some, and most of those spots I found are from snorkeling. I would jump in at high tide, swim around. You'll see a rock that's holding, you know, 15 or 20 of them. Keep that in mind. You come back on a dirty tide and fish them in the dirty. I like fishing dirty water. I just do. Right. Um, and that's when we'd get them. But when I first started fishing for them, um, I only had spinning rods. And I'd be out there with like a 6,000 spinning rod and, you know, you'd catch a 45 inch snook on a, on a 6,000, no problem. Well, then you'd hook into this Kubera and you couldn't even turn them. And, I, and at the time I didn't know they were Kuberas and I'd be like, what the heck was that? Was that a Goliath grouper? So I went and bought some toriums, you know, some 20 and 30 wide toriums, went back to the same spot. I'd hook into one of them. And I'm like, oh, this is what was getting me this. And when I brought up my first Kubera, it was like this big and I'm like, holy crow these things can throw down yeah they can but um over time i've just you know kind of made that a little niche that i can offer you know people love the kuberas fwc reached out to me through email one day and was like hey we've been trying to catch these things for years trying to tag them and we just we can't you know it's hard for us to do that can you help us out and i was like sure so i got all the biologists on speed dial and when i catch one i'll throw it in the live well I'll meet the biologist down at the beach somewhere. They come out, um, they put them in a cooler and they they literally make an incision in their stomach, take these transmitters, put them in there, sew them back up. They'll put an external tag in them. And um, you know, they'll I keep up with them and they'll they'll tell me what they've been doing a couple months after I release them. You know, there's transmitters all around Florida, I guess, where they'll swim by it and it'll ping mm -hmm. and that shows what happened. And you know, they want to know like how many of them are are getting killed after release or where are they going. Um, for instance, like one I let go, like two months later, it, it swam 40 miles north and went to Fort Pierce. And so it's That's just, crazy. You'd think that a fish like that, that likes structure, would, would hang right there. It would be his home. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I think it is, is a lot of the fish that I'm catching are those teenagers. So right. they're they're coming out of the estuaries. They're starting to beef up. They're, you know, 20 pounds maybe. They're chasing and, chicks, baby. Yeah, they're chasing chicks <laughs> and they're, they're figuring out where do they want to live. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um 
What else do you want to add to the Stoke stuff before we get into the hunting and turkeys and, and, um, and your friends? I just, I just, I want to to let the younger generation know that you know, you know, they go out there now and they catch snook and they think it's great. I'm just here to let you know that it's not as good as it was. And every year for the last ten years, I've noticed a decline. Um, and another thing is, I, I think uh, I'm not against tournaments whatsoever. Tournaments are great; they're fun and whatever. But there's certain things in tournaments, like so. For instance, there's there's tournaments down here that are all summer long. It's a three month tournament online where you can you know pay twenty bucks or fifty bucks for an entry fee, and they have categories like most forty inch snook. Well, what that does is every kid, you know, puts in their twenty bucks. They're all out there all night long for three months to for bragging rights to say, oh, I caught, you know, 45 snook over 40 inches. And I just think that's a bad, it just puts a bad taste in my mouth. You know, it just, you're, you're, you're sitting here for three months pounding these breeding fish to win a $500 prize fee, uh, and some bragging rights. Um, so certain things like that, I think need to be kind of thought about. Do you think, do you think these kids would be out there anyway, even though it wasn't, it would not be a a tournament? They would be, but they wouldn't be, uh, trying to catch as many as they were. They, and, and a big thing and I hate saying this, but the bridge fishermen are brutal on these fish. I, I you know, I'll be out there on a night trip and, and what they'll do is they'll catch these big fish and they'll bring them up in these nets. You know, you're dropping net down, they'll get them and they'll, they're up there. I can hear the fish flopping around on the concrete forever and they're taking pictures of them. And then they throw them off the bridge. Oh God. Hmm. And it makes me, I'll go to jail one day. It makes my blood boil. And you'll see that 42 inch snook that was probably 20 years old, just drifting out into the darkness, belly up. I've seen it happen so many times. Jeez. And and so I just think, you know, snook fishing, uh, you know, with social media, it was, for a while, it's, it was the cool thing to do. I think it has calmed down a little bit in, the, you know, maybe the last year or two. You know, social media has kind of plateaued, I feel like, a little bit. Um, but there's just so many kids and adults that are out there just doing it for the wrong reasons, you know, whatever. Oh, look at me. You know? mm-hmm. So... But again, you know, that's kind of how I made my name, you know, taking pictures of these big fish. But again, I've always respected the fish as much as I could. More. Right. And so there's just a lot of pressure on these fish is what I want to make clear. Here's an interesting um, dynamic in that some of the old time guys, Copeland and Tommy Green and uh, David Justice, they would, they would chase the bridges from up in this area all the way to Miami. They would chase the tide. So once the tide leave, is is the fishing over for these guys that are on the bridge and they go home? Um, it's got to be a pretty narrow window. It is when it's good. Very, uh, very much so. I mean, there's times where you'll sit there for four hours and not catch a sink, not even get a bite, and then there's a twenty minute window where it's like you game on. It's fish after fish after fish after fish, and I think um, you know, with again social media. Um, people f- learn that when they're biting or what time they're biting. And, you know, you'll see, I've seen 30 kids sitting on a bridge in one night, you know, you come through and the whole bridge is just nothing but people throwing flare hawks and mullet and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, not to say that that's not bad, but right. I just, you know, a lot of those kids aren't doing the right thing when, when they do finally catch a fish, they're just, they're smoking them, whether one way or another, banging them up and just not treating them the right way. Now, uh, what's the difference between catching these things during the daylight hours versus the evening? Because you catch a lot of your fish right in the middle of the day. Yeah. Pure daylight. I mean, noon is when I catch them the most. Uh, noon. Noon. Yeah. When the sun is right over you. You can see better. You can see them. They're glowing yellow. 
Um, nighttime though in the summer is definitely better. I mean, when it goes nighttime in the summer, it's game on. Those fish are are eating anything they can get their hands on. You know, they're eating, they're spawning, so they're hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it's with flare hawks, which is you know anywhere from a one ounce to a three ounce, just a big feather, if you will. And um, the problem with that. Super effective, but a lot of times they choke that thing every single time they eat a flare hawk. That thing is in the mm. throat of a snook. Mm. So it's just, again, you know, you can't outlaw throwing flare hawks, but you can take your time with the fish as much as yeah. you can. When you're sight fishing these snook up in the river, can you can you catch them on fly? Have you ever tried that? So I bought my first fly rod finally last year. Um, I didn't use it as much as I wanted to just, you know, because I'm full-time <laughs> guiding and I just didn't have the day. Um, but I've had a few guys do it. It's very possible. Um, again, you just got to know how to wiggle it right. Sure. You know, a lot of you times to feed the fish. you got to feed the fish. Every The problem is every fish is different. Some like it fast, some like it slow. And if you got a guy who hasn't seen it enough times uh, and can't adapt to it, you know, as it's happening, it just won't happen. You know, they'll get it in front of them. They'll strip it to where the snook will turn and start to commit, but they usually can't finish it, whether mm. they're not doing it too fast or they're doing it too slow. Um, but this year I'm going to get that fly rod out for sure. I'm going to do it. Um, yeah, it seems like yeah, a lot of fun. Well, you talk about being organic, you know, I mean, it's really cool in the, in the canoe and, and the, and the mullet. I, I love that. I love bait fishing. Nick and I've done it our whole lives, but, uh, but a fly rod is, you take it to another level. Well, I'll it, say it's, this. it's an art form. For sure. I'll say this. Uh, you know, I've caught a lot of 40 inch fish and I still, to this day, give me a mullet, give me a circle hook and, and let me catch one. I'll still, I love it. But when I did, I fished maybe the fly rod one or two times after I bought it this summer, the first time I had it in my hand and I'm at the bow and I see the first giant come in my way. Oh my God. I came unglued. I couldn't even, I was shaking like a leaf. More nervous than even if you had. Oh um, yeah. If I had a spinning rod with a top water, I would have been like, Oh, watch this. Boom. Easy. But I still love it. You know, it's easy right. for me. But I, but with that fly rod, that thing came down. I started. I didn't even know what my name was at that point. <laughs> I was. I couldn't even get it out there, let alone start stripping it. And if it, God forbid the snook ate the fly, I wouldn't have even known what to do. Have you done? Have you fished for big tarpon much? Um, not too much. So I have a new boat being built right now because right here in Jupiter, you know, the, those tarpon migrate from, you know, the keys fish come right through here. Sure. And, um, I just haven't had the boat to get out on the outside and target them as much. Right. Um, but this year with my new boat, I'm going to go out there and, and do a lot more tarpon fishing and hopefully take a little, you know, pressure off the snook. Um, and we also have a permit fishery that I want to kind of dial in on. There's permit out there sitting in 30 foot of water. Um, so are they floating on the surface out there? They are. Interesting. Yeah, they are. They're on, you know, they'll be sitting on, on some type of rock structure, but they'll just be sitting up high. Um, so that's something I want to kind of tap into because I love a challenge. And, you know, also, you want something gonna, new. Too. It's going to open up a completely different world for you. For sure. Having yeah. And the sailfish. So, you know, it's going to be a smaller boat still, but there are going to be days that I can, me and my client can run out there at seven in the morning, go catch a sailfish. And then come in and catch a forty-inch snook. Sure. So we were and t- now we you were- can charge two thousand dollars a day, yeah, right? <laughs> well, we were talking earlier before we got set up, and I think my father asked you whether you were like, you know, snook or turkey. What do you like more? And you said turkey, without a doubt. And everyone we talked to has this obsession with Florida turkeys. And we were talking about Colorado Merriman turkeys and whatnot, and they were like, no. That's like, they didn't even bat an eye. What is it about the Osceola turkey that is so sought after? 
They're swamp birds. They're very weary. It's not like an Eastern. Swamp know. bird mean they're smarter. They're smart. You know, they come from, you know, they're not a Merriam out there in the middle of a giant open field with, you know, hundreds of other turkeys. These birds, a lot of times, they don't, you don't, you won't see big flocks of Osceolas for the most part. You'll see small flocks. Um, they're way more of an aggressive bird. Um, they're the smallest bird of them all, but they're just, they're swamp birds. They, they, they live in the terrain where it's very tight. They don't take chances. They're not going to scream their head off like a, a, a Merriam or an Eastern, you know, in the hills. They're just, they, for the most part, they'll gobble a few times on the limb. As soon as they touch that bottom of the grass, or, you know, they, they land, that's it. They shut up. Unless it's obviously... What do you mean aggressive? You said they're aggressive they're, birds. They're, they're aggressive as meaning that they fight a lot. They're, they're, they're very prone with to each fighting. Other. With each other. Uh, you throw a full strutting decoy out there, nine times out of 10, they're going to come. So they're easier to kill because of that. They can possibly, be. possibly, yeah. Um, but yeah, once once you have a bird that's committed to it, it, they don't get me wrong, they can be very easily killed. But overall, I think they're definitely the hardest out of the four subspecies in North America. How difficult is, is it to kill them on public land versus private land? Um, now every day is harder and harder. Um, you know, Osceolas are the money bird out of them. So you know, for instance, you can kill an Eastern obviously from North Florida to Maine. Um, so what that, what that done again with social media, um, everybody in North America wants to come kill an Osceola. Well, they're only found in half of the state. So it's a huge supply and demand issue. And, you know, you got all these new hunting YouTube shows, you know, public land, do it yourself hunts. And they come down here and they do the episodes. And next thing you know, you have a influx of out of state hunters applying for the, the Osceola tags. I haven't drawn a, a tag myself in three years now, which, you know, just through the reissue system, because there's so many people applying for it, you're just never going to get one. It took my dad six years to finally pull a tag. And that's just because he built up his points. So um, there's a lot of things with that too, that I could get into that I'd like to see, like, for instance, you know, your turkey permit, they charge like 10 bucks for a turkey permit. I don't know how much they charge the outstate of hunters, but I know it's not that much. They What's a permit mean as a guide? No, just to kill one. A tag. A oh, tag. a tag. Okay. Ten bucks? Yeah. Ten bucks. Make that sucker a thousand dollars. Right. You know, how bad do you want it? You want to come down here and kill an Osceola? We'll pay a thousand dollars because that's what the bird deserves at this point. You know, the, the the destruction of land around here is, you know, we got there's so many community there are places that I used to hunt back in the day, fifteen years ago, are condos. Lots of them. Yeah. And so, you know, you're taking out there's less and less land every day. There's more hunters charge them, charge the money, put it back into the conservation of the bird, whatever way it needs to happen. Um, but yeah, the, so the public land, luckily for me, um, I've, I've, I've made a career out of turkey hunting now to where I lease a bunch of private land myself. And so what that's done is it's kind of taken me out of the, pri the public land. I don't hunt public right. land as much as I, I used to. How expensive is it to lease land? <sighs> On arm and a leg. It's ridiculous. Um, and that's like what I was saying. Like you can go kill an Eastern for $500. The Osceola hunts now are, you know, they're three grand. Um, and that reflects into my that's lease. That's what they pay you to go kill an Osceola? $3,000. And you say you can take them out at nine in the morning and they can kill a bird by noon. Get the hell out of Give here. Give me my money. Goodbye. Give me another hunter. You're smart cookie. Yeah. yeah. But don't get me wrong. Uh, a lot of that's going to go to the lease fees. You know? Right, right. You have a lot of right. overhead. How, how, many, how much I, land do you have? 
probably around 4,000 acres at this point. Is um, just you yourself just lease me. that? Just me. How many, is that one property? No, it's probably five or six different properties. You know, one of them's 2,000, one of them's 600, one of them's 30. You know, there's just a couple different pieces, but it's some of the most beautiful land you can see in South Florida. Nikki, you want to become a turkey guide? <laughs> and you're also working for Florida Outdoor Experience with Gray Drummond, correct? Yep. So, uh, I, so I do that down here myself is what we just talked about. And then I go, uh, so the good thing about Florida is the turkey season's divided into two sections. You got North Zone, you got South Zone. We're in South Zone where I'm at, meaning we open up March 4th this year, and this the North Zone where Gray Drummond is doesn't open up till March 18th. So from March 4th to March 18th, I got a, I got clients every day. You know, I try and kill as many as I can before I go up there and, and help them out up there. So my, my schedule is basically Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I hunt here. And then Thursday, we have clients fly in up there, and I, I hunt them Thursday through Sunday. And what's nice about that is it, it calms me down because when I'm doing it myself down here, it's turn and burn. I got a guy we kill. I'm calling the next guy saying, hey, are you, can you come now? Like, there's another bird out here. Let's go. Well, when I go up there to FOE, it's more of a wine and dine type thing. You're going to go up there. You're going to go to a beautiful lodge. I mean, five star. The food's great. Everyone there. Gray is awesome. Everyone who he's... Has as guides were handpicked from Gray. They are awesome dudes and a couple ladies, and um, it's just a cool. It, you know, I go out there, I get one person, and I have them for three days. Right. So I don't have to rush. You know, you can really learn the client. You can you know be friends with them. And really enjoy the experience. Real have a good experience. Yeah, we just stayed at his lodge over there. We we're up there uh, interviewing Steve Kilpatrick, who's the guide of the two hundred two pound world record tarpon. Yep. And we, and we met uh, Gray. What an awesome cat, man! And we stayed in that that lodge right on the uh, Swanee River. It's awesome, and and so that's and that's what I love about it most is you know when we're done turkey hunting, it's that camaraderie. You know, you got sure. Steve there, you got Flip Pallets there sometimes. Yeah, tell us this story about you told about about Flip. You're 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 filming Flip for yeah. So what, what is the film for? Well, no. So at one point, uh, Flip was a guide. He doesn't do it too much now. But when I first started working for FOE, he was a guide. And so what would happen is all the guides would go out. We would all have our own client. And um, if I, I, my client killed the first day. So after that, Gray would use me as a media guy because I did the wildlife photography and I knew how to work a camera. So after my client killed, I would go out with the other guys and just get content for, you know, for, sure. for whatever. So my guy killed the one day. And so the next day, Gray's like, why don't you go with Flip? And I was like, oh, cool. All right. So <laughs> we got different hunting techniques, me and Flip. Again, I'm, I'm, you know, young. I like to turn him. I like to go. And when I hear a bird, let's go. Let's go get him. Well, with Flip, it's a little different. So I was the cameraman on this hunt. So I stayed back and let Flip do his thing. Well, you know, walking through the woods with Flip is real slow. He likes to look at every leaf, likes to take it all in, which is great. But the bird's gobbling. Let's go. So like nine o'clock, we get to this area and I had a, a client, his name was Jimmy, cool dude, but not a, you know, not a really a turkey hunter. A lot of these guys up there are more business guys, sure. you know, they're not real big turkey hunters. And so I got Jimmy. So we sit down in this blind and I'm sitting here, I got Jimmy here and flips on the other side and uh, we're sitting there and I'm, you know, I got my camera, I'm ready for whatever. And uh, a bird gobbles and, you know, he was right there. And the bird, next thing you know, is just coming right down the line. And so I get the camera, you know, I start, you know, I'm looking at the bird coming in. I look, you know, Jimmy's not doing anything. He's just sitting there. He's and frozen. He's frozen. He don't know what to do. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm not the guide. So I'm just, I'm just getting the bird, you know, coming down and the bird's getting close, you know, and I'm like not trying to move. And next thing I know, the bird's like, you know, right there, like 30 yards. Shoot it. So yeah. I'm like, so I look over, I'm like, Jimmy, you know, 
I look over, flips out like a light. He's, he's over there passed out. So I'm like, he's taking a snooter. He's taking a little snoozer. So I'm like, Jimmy, 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 get your gun up right now and shoot this bird. So, you know, as, you know, as he's picking his gun up and the little bit of the commotion, you know, flip kind of comes too. And, you know, Jimmy shot the bird right there, but it was just funny. That's so, that so cool. Funny. You know, it's, um, tell me what you've learned from flip being a young guy. Oh, flip's just, he's just, uh, He's got a really unique way of, of uh, how passionate he is and how he's definitely how I want to be in, in 40 years. Um, he just takes his time with everything. He appreciates the smaller things in life. He's never in a rush. Um, he's just a great storyteller, really puts you back in the day. You know, you sit down and listen to him. It's just you go back in time. He's a very unique character. Right. Well, we right. got to fish one day, Ryan. I'm ready whenever you guys are ready. Yeah, well, it's really been a pleasure. No, I appreciate you. You, guys you are so dialed with your world. Um, and I think it, it not everybody has that ability to figure uh, how to put one foot ahead of the other at a very young age. And you've done that. Um, and you're very inspirational in that you're not only dialed uh, uh, with your fishery, but with conservation. And now you also hunt you fish, your life is perfect. Yeah. Congratulations. I, can't, I definitely can't <laughs> complain. Thank you very much. You, yeah, you, man. It, but to be honest with you, I have to say this. It's all because of my parents. You know, they, they gave me this foundation to where, you know, I, I, you know, they let me stay at home for a long time and they, you know, they believed in me. Like, you know, I'm out there fishing, you know, some parents would be like, you're not fishing, you, you know, go, go, go to, to school, college, you know, go sure. to school, which I did. I went to college, got, you know, degree, my AA degree or whatever, but I was always good in school, but they always trusted that what I was doing. And for the most part, you know, to become the way I did, you know, you'd have to have that because it just, it, it all fell into place. You know, I had enough I had enough room to where I could go out there day after day after day after day. I didn't have to worry about rent. I didn't have to worry about all that. I was just out there doing it, and then it all happened organically. Yeah. So for that aspect, it's I'm very, very lucky, and I don't take any of it for granted. So There you go. Let's give it a hell yeah. Hell, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, 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 Andy. All right. This young man figured out a way to make a living chasing his favorite critters, snook, turkeys, and deer. Bravo. If you enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.